0: The longest relationship I've had is with Law & Order.
1: Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we should definitely call our moms after this episode. I'm Jordan. I couldn't be more excited for you all to listen to our guest today. We're talking about the best hood there is, motherhood. But specifically, what it looks like for professional athletes who become moms. A few months ago, I had a chance to interview WNBA star Candace Parker of the newly crowned champions, the Chicago Sky. Yes, we talked a little bit about the X's and O's of the game, but mostly we talked about her as a mom to her 12-year-old daughter, Layla. The same year that she won Rookie of the Year and MVP, still the only player to achieve this, she found out she was pregnant at only 23. People questioned if she had already peaked only one year into the W. They doubted that she could balance being a pro basketball player, not only domestically, but also in Russia. They wondered how she was going to do it all. But she did it. She's still doing it at the highest level, being a mother to Layla and being a champion. Because, Candace said, being a mom is her life's purpose. Nothing was going to get in the way of that. Like Candace's story, there are so many athletes feeling like they are forced to choose between motherhood and professional sports. We'll get into a few of these stories with sports journalist Shireen Ahmed, a proud single mother of four, although her cat Tara is her favorite, a podcaster and an award-winning activist. Shireen knows firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child and a team. Let's welcome Shireen after the break. Hey, Shireen, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Hi,
0: Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited.
1: Yay. Well, let's get into it.
0: As I watched game two of the WNBA playoffs between the Phoenix Mercury and the Chicago Sky, one specific thing caught my attention. It wasn't the majesty and movement of the plays, nor the athleticism. It was the number of parents on the court. Diana Taurasi, Bria Hartley, Skylar Diggins-Smith, and Candace Parker. In fact, after dropping 24 points and winning the playoff round in Las Vegas on a Friday, Taurasi had a special message during the post-game interview for her pregnant wife, Penny Taylor.
2: Hold it in, babe. Coming.
3: Come
0: <laughs> Tarazzi flew back home to Phoenix and Penny had their second child, baby Isla, just hours later at 4:24 a.m. on Saturday. Then on Sunday, Tarazzi played in the first game of the WNBA finals. Tarazzi and the Mercury didn't end up winning the 2021 championship. That was the Chicago Sky, which starred another mom, Candace Parker. After the win, Candace Parker opened her arms on the court as her daughter, Layla, rushed into them. The way they hugged sent me. Any video of Parker crying with joy is enough to make me sob into my hijab, but this moment was phenomenal. I couldn't help but notice that Parker was cradling her daughter and the game ball at the same time, illustrating that it is possible to hold both. I am a mom of four and a soccer player. I have never played professionally or semi-professionally, but I coached my daughters under five team with a baby carrier on my back. I've packed snacks and I've breastfed and changed diapers at the field during halftime. During play, I shouted at my kids to stay close to the field and not venture too far off. I have also left the kids with their dad as I went and did the thing I love most in the world, play. But it wasn't my career. It was my escape. Mothering is a full-time job. The more kids, the more jobs. And what about the moms who earn their living by playing basketball? These moms who play in the W are on the road for 16 out of 32 games in the season. How do their bodies, a critical part of their work, change? And if they birth the babies, how did they change their game postpartum? How hard was the transition back to the court? Did they change diapers courtside? Did they have childcare? And what support does their employer offer when their body is their business? Pregnancy can be wonderful, but if you are a professional athlete, it can cause a disruption of sorts. Cheyenne Parker is a forward with the WNBA Atlanta Dream. In July, she announced her surprise pregnancy in an article she penned for the Players' Tribune. She wrote, Have I always wanted a family at some point? Absolutely. That's been a big dream of mine. But the truth is, in my mind, that was something that was going to happen after my playing career was over. The idea of getting pregnant while I was in the W? I mean, I knew players who had done it, but I also knew that it was some superwoman type behavior. In my head, I was just like, "Mm, nah, I'll wait. Pamela McGee is an Olympic gold medalist and back-to-back NCAA champion and All-American from the University of Southern California. She is the only WNBA player to have children who played in the NBA and the WNBA. Her son, JaVale McGee, plays with the Phoenix Suns. Her daughter, Imani McGee Stafford, took a leave of absence from pro ball to pursue a law degree. Mama McGee is a legend and an absolute force of life. She has played with her twin sister, Paula, Cheryl Miller, Cynthia Cooper, and Lisa Leslie. But life changed for Pamela when she was 24, already a successful power forward
2: with a championship winning team in Tortola, Spain. I had to make a decision. I had to really contemplate having a child and my career would be halted. And just the financial responsibilities of having a child, and it was by far one of the most uh, emotional If not life transformative decisions I've ever had to make in my life. But 33 years later, you know, my son and I laughed because I said, you know, you turned out to be quite a beautiful blessing for somebody who didn't almost didn't make it here. (laughs) I know that sounds crude, but I, I I I did. I made an appointment at an abortion clinic. I really did. I hadn't really thought through it. I just didn't want to be pregnant.
0: Pamela was in a vulnerable place. When JaVale was born in 1988, there was no maternity leave for basketball players. There was no culture of kids on the sidelines, nor was there a collective bargaining agreement for women's players that offered support to moms in the league. That would come much later from the W. Pamela didn't have anyone to look to for guidance. So she did what she did best. She created plays on what she knew. She prayed and she went
2: forward. And I just felt this waterfall of peace that came over me. And I just prayed. I mean, and and there's a different kind of praying. (laughs) This was that, you know, ugly cry on my face. Like, I need to make a decision. You know, if there is a God, you got to show up because I really don't know. I'm 24. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was the lead, a lead senior, one of the members of my church. I was led over the singles ministry. So there was a lot of like guilt, but it was a transformative time in my life because I think that it was a time that I really felt God, saw God and God spoke to me.
0: After JaVale was born, Pamela went to Italy to continue playing. She negotiated her contract with a team in Sicily. She told them she needed a nanny for her son, and they agreed.
2: I was an elite player, one of the top five players in Europe, an all-star, and my team agreed to it.
0: So, this single mom packed up her nine-month-old baby and moved, alone, to Italy.
2: If you think about it, a mom going to a foreign country, not knowing the language, taking a baby across the country not knowing where you're going. It's already a, a frightening experience to go to another country. But going to another country, and I just made it happen. I don't know how I made it happen, but I made it happen. Some people just, we do what we have to do for our children.
0: My own experience with being a young mom taught me about forging my own path. I babysat a lot, but I had a small family and very little experience with infants. I cried for hours when I found out I was pregnant. I was married and still in University. I was supposed to go to law school events, not to toddler playgroups, but I did it. And I used the same passion for sports or studying, and I put it into mothering.
2: And I think as mothers, we have this innate intestinal fortitude that tells us when to make a move, when not to make a move, and we'll do whatever we have to do for our children. And it turned out to be a really good situation for me because we only practice two hours a day. So it allowed me to be almost like a stay-at-home mom.
0: The path back to basketball doesn't always work out like this. A team agreeing to a nanny, practice being two hours a day, Italian food. Kim Gaucher is a guard from Mission, British Columbia. For all you Americans out there, that's in Canada. She's known for her hunger for the game, the kind that once resulted in several of her teeth getting knocked out after diving for a loose ball. Then her picking up the tooth shards and handing them over to her coach and checking back in. Kim is still the all-time leading scorer for her alma mater, the University of Utah. She was the first female athlete there to have her jersey retired. For Kim, the path back to basketball after pregnancy was not seamless. She found out she was expecting in the summer of 2020, during the pandemic, when everything,
3: including basketball, was shut down. We had a miscarriage, and so really really excited um but obviously terrified um having had a miscarriage before uh but it was in i think it was like maybe july or august um yeah we knew early because we were tracking and everything like that so cautiously optimistic kim and her husband ben were elated when they found out she was expecting
0: that kim was still under contract in France with USL Mondeville. She also didn't know what it meant for her future.
3: So basketball was kind of always on my mind because obviously I had obligations to the team there. And so once it was confirmed, then I kind of told my team right away. That was
0: only one team she had to worry about, though. Kim's a stalwart on the Canadian national team. And I remember when the Canadian women won gold at the Pan Am Games in 2015. The games were hosted in Toronto, and it was a huge deal. Imagine beating the USA at basketball. Kim was a massive part of that success. When she found out she was pregnant, she reached out to her national team coach, Lisa Tomaitis, right away.
3: And I was like, obviously we're pregnant and I don't know what that means for the future, but in my head, I wasn't ready to be like, I'm done being a basketball player.
0: Kim's teammates on the Canadian national team were thrilled for her. They were excited to have a baby at camp. The 2020 Olympics were postponed, and going to be held the next year. Kim had not ruled out playing in them. Plus, Canada basketball supported her. Sophie was born in March 2021 in France. After my first child was born, I felt like my body had been pushed to a limit I had never experienced. Despite being an athlete, there's nothing that prepares you for this experience. I was just trying to figure out how long it would take for my uterus to get back to size. It painfully contracts back into shape after baby is delivered, something I had no idea about. Playing soccer again was never off the table, but those first few weeks, figuring out how to manage leaky breasts was on my mind more than how to avoid an offside call or sharpening my crosses.
3: Like I was in the hospital, you know, like you're not sleeping. You have no idea what's going on. You're trying to figure out how to keep this tiny human alive. And so in no shape or form did I process this as being like, oh, that's, that dream's done. It was just kind of like, all of my focus was on her.
0: Kim wasn't thinking about the Olympics in that moment.
3: That was also the advice I'd received from other athletes that I talked to. It was like, take the first eight weeks and like figure out how to be a mom. Give your body some time to figure things out. But as Kim was adjusting to having birthed a little human, the
0: rules around attending the Olympics were shifting by the day. Because of COVID-19, there was little certainty on how many fans would be able to attend, if at all, or if the Games would even be happening. Then, only a couple days after Sophie was born, Kim found out that her husband and Sophie might not be able to attend the Olympics. The International Olympic Committee and the Japanese Olympic Committee, had instituted a rule saying no foreign fans would be allowed at the Games. So this also means that no family would be allowed for athletes coming from overseas. At the time, Japan was also barring entry for people from 159 countries. The idea was to prevent the Games from becoming a super spreader event. But before Kim could worry about potentially having to leave her baby at home, First, she had to decide if she could be ready to play by the time the Olympics began. It was March, and training camp for the Olympics was going to begin in May. Kim started walking immediately after she got home from the hospital, and she didn't look back.
3: Um, you know, started doing the breathing exercises and everything like that right away. And then I think I was in the gym maybe at like six weeks postpartum, just ball handling, Obviously not jumping yet, um, but yeah, ball handling, form shooting, everything like that. Um, My husband would strap Sophie in the carrier and he would just rebound for me. Kim progressed quickly. She would nurse baby Sophie and pump breast
0: milk and then leave it in the hotel with her husband. Then she would go and train and come back and shower quickly and feed Sophie again. She was encouraged by the progress her body had made. It was at training camp in Tampa when Kim decided that not only was she capable of keeping up with the team, that she wanted to go to Tokyo. She belonged there. But Kim also knew that the IOC had banned spectators and made no exceptions for nursing mothers or families with young children. That's when Kim began connecting with other athlete moms. She contacted the Canadian Olympic Committee to make a formal appeal. The basketball community rallied around her. But it was hard to think positively when time was running out and all indications pointed to a denied appeal. In June 2021, Kim posted a video of herself on Instagram with Sophie out of the frame but gurgling in the background. Kim looked into the camera and said,
3: Right now I'm being forced to decide between being a breastfeeding mom or an Olympic athlete. I can't have them both. Tokyo has said no friends, no family, no exceptions. The night before I posted my Instagram video, I had heard from my U.S. counterparts uh, that they had been denied their appeal. And so that was kind of when I was like, well, if the U.S. can't get it done for some of their Olympians, I was like, I feel like, like we're not getting it done.
0: Instead of being able to focus on her jump shot, her defense, and her speed, Kim was fighting a battle to be allowed to attend with her team she helped them qualify for Tokyo. She was their veteran shooting guard. Now, there was a strong possibility that she wouldn't be able to play with them or have a chance to make the podium.
3: Yeah, it was like, I mean, honestly, there would be so many times, I mean, obviously, crazy hormones, but there were so many times I would just break down into tears, just being like, it just felt so unjust that this is how, you know, like, my career is going to be decided here.
0: Then... Just three weeks before the beginning of the Tokyo Olympics, the International Olympic Committee and the Japanese Olympic Committee both changed their stance. Nursing mothers were approved to bring their babies and a supporting family member to the Olympics. Kim quickly set out to make plans to travel to Japan with her family. Coming up, boobs, the good the bad, and the leaky. Breastfeeding is not easy. I know this from my own experience. My first baby was premature, and I had missed the last two classes about breastfeeding. On TV and in movies, it comes across as being seamless, What they don't explain is how the tiny infant's mouth needs to clamp, and I mean clamp, over your areola completely, and how you need to be patient, and how the baby may not get it, and you both will cry, or baby will be too tired or angry, and you will get frustrated and doubt yourself as a mom. Some babies don't take to nursing. My youngest didn't. And at that stage, you're too exhausted and recovering to fight the voices in your head. So you try to do what is best for this tiny little being and try to save whatever is left of your own dignity and mental health. No two experiences are the same. In Kim's case, she was able to bring Sophie to the Olympics, but this doesn't mean she didn't fight the normal challenges of being a new mom.
3: So when we were in Tokyo, this is where I ran into a problem because our practices in Tokyo or in Korea City in the training facility It was like, we did our video over at the training facility. It was like a 20 minute bus ride there. And then practices were like three, three and a half hours. And then a bus ride after. And so by the end of practice, I was like so engorged before I could pump. And my sports bras, I was just wearing like sports bras. And I got the craziest rashes because it was so hot and humid there. And it was like, The side, like I swear, I went up like a cup size. It felt like in during practice. And so I had these giant welts all over my back. I kind of geared my workouts into like two hour increments, basically being able to work out, have a 30 second shower and get to her and then reset. I can't imagine having to perform physiological
0: and athletic feats while being engorged and exhausted and thirsty and
2: subjected to, well, Mother Nature. Because whenever the baby would cry, my nipples would leak. So it's like when the baby would wake up, you know the baby's waking up. That's Pamela McGee again. I was the first person in my family to breastfeed. Uh, Matter of fact, I got in touch with an organization called La Leche. I don't know if La Leche is uh, still around, but it was kind of these rural white women (laughs) that they would come to your home. Because it really wasn't. A lot of African-American women really didn't breastfeed. La Leche is still
0: around. It's an NGO that educates and trains parents on breastfeeding. La Leche taught Pamela everything. It was an extremely intimate
2: experience. You know, my breasts were engulfed and they put me in the shower and they told me what to eat. And they taught me how to, you know, don't give the baby much water because breast milk is 90% water. It was just such a connection between baby and mom. The La Leche League gave Pamela McGee the skills to nurse her baby.
0: She breastfed JaVale for 13 months. Though the switch to baby food
2: presented its own challenges to Pam. I made my own baby food because at that time, in Italy, they didn't even have baby food. I had to make my own baby food. Fortunately, I had a really good nanny, and her mom really taught me how to use natural foods, how to make uh, baby food, and I would just put it in jars, how to store it. You know, I really learned a lot. I, I learned a lot in Italy. They're really into family.
0: The support she got from her teammates, who would play with JaVale on the bus or on the court, also helped immensely. It was proof of what Kim Gauthier would implore the Olympic Committee to realize nearly 30 years later, that surrounding moms with support is a part of caring for the athlete's health.
2: Because he was a, what I call, gym rat baby, he would just go between teammates, he would walk up to the front of the bus. He had a favorite girlfriend on the front of the bus. And they had this running gag. Oh, Jamel! I thought I was your girlfriend. And then the one, he says, okay, stay up here on the front of the bus. And he was such a, a lovable and a nice kid. Pamela was a
0: disciplinarian and was very organized. She had crayons, books, and activities for him while she practiced. And he knew what to expect because Pamela had set a routine for him. And she stuck to it. Pamela played on and off for 13 years. She played in Italy, France, Brazil, and Spain, and she homeschooled Javel while she was overseas. He excelled academically under her tutelage. For many, the idea of packing up the kids and taking off to parts unknown can seem daunting. In a Washington Post article from 1997, Pamela wondered how her NBA parent counterparts managed the load. She said, quote, How do they play three times as many games and have time for their children and then go golfing all the time? But basically, it's a female issue because they have their wives at home to do all the nurturing, the basketball games, the church events, the PTA meetings. Most of us don't, end quote. But Pamela approached the opportunities with a tenacious yet practical mindset.
2: As a professional athlete, this is what we do. So we don't really, and, I, and I've always trained my kids. We're not trying to be like everybody else. Everybody else wants to be like us. We're the top of the food chain. This is what we do. And so I think it, it kind of gave JaVale an advantage when he became a pro because he knew what to expect.
0: Back when Pamela was playing in the 80s and 90s, she had to negotiate childcare into her contract by herself. That's not the case anymore, at least for players in the WNBA. Good morning. I'm saying good morning because I'm in Phoenix. That's Terry Jackson. She's the executive director of the Women's National Basketball Players Association, which means she's the one who negotiated and advocated for the players in the WNBA. And she's also a mom.
4: We are proud parents of an NBA player. Our son plays with the Memphis Grizzlies. When he was a little one, going to my husband's games. Terry's partner
0: is Jaron Jackson Sr., an NBA champion. And you guessed it, her son is Jaron Jackson Jr., who loved going to his dad's games.
4: He was playing uh, at the time for the San Antonio Spurs. I remember very clearly, you know, walking into the arena. Um, There were times when Jaron Jr. as a little toddler wanted to sit in the seats and and watch his dad for like all of half the game (laughs) and then wanted to be in the back in the family room playing with the other children of players. What
0: Terry noticed at those games was that Spurs were already providing someone who was monitoring and attending to the children's needs in the family room, which is essentially what it sounds like, a room for families of the players.
4: This is, you know, 17, 18, 19 years ago. So fast forward to 2016, when Terry took over as head of
0: the Players Union. She already had a unique understanding of what the bar should be for players with families.
4: So I really felt a tremendous responsibility to ensure that this was happening for the players of the WNBA. I mean, this was happening for the players of the NBA. They're not, you know, having the children. But what Terry noticed was that for WNBA players,
0: having kids and staying in the league didn't seem practical.
4: My observation outside looking in was that, players starting a family, having a family was probably not fully contemplated when the league first started. And I don't know why. I don't know if, I mean, the cultural norms and societal views of women, of women athletes, of players who um, would be looking to start a family were very much different 20 some years ago than they are now, right? Thank God. So outside looking in, my observation was that there was a thought that the players, when it came time to start a family, would be looking to transition out, retire from the W and perhaps retire from basketball and be looking towards their second career.
0: This notion goes way back to when women were first allowed in the workplace. Having a career was seen as a precursor, or in some cases, a placeholder, until women started families. Once you were pregnant, your working time was over. But the WNBA started in 1996, not the 60s. Yet, the language to protect and help mothers was barely included in the collective bargaining agreements.
4: I think when you look at the CBAs back then, when you look at how many times pregnancy, for example, is mentioned, When you look and see that at one point the pregnancy disability benefit was 50% of the salary. That's right. If a player got pregnant,
0: their pay was cut in half.
4: You almost seem to wonder if maybe what I'm saying is true. It wasn't thought about. There wasn't a belief that that player would be looking to return, which is so, so unfortunate.
0: Jackson often thinks about the players who they lost. They may not have been able to keep playing without proper support from the league or without adequate accommodations.
4: Being a parent, you know, for the first time is really tough. And if you don't see the opportunities or the ways that you can do this successfully... Because you want to be the best parent you can. If you don't see, you know, that there are resources that are going to be there in a job that is really pretty demanding and has so much travel involved in it. I can imagine that there, I know that there are players who said, that's it, I'm done. I'll look to find, you know, something else to do. But I'm certain that there are players who said, "I, I can't continue playing in the W because I don't have you know, the resources that will help me be successful as a parent and successful in my job. And the W players, that's all they know is to be the best, you know, at what they're doing. So it's kind of tough when I think about that, but um, I'm proud of the CBA in in large respects because of where we landed. It's not perfect. It's not perfect, but um, it's pretty good.
0: The new childcare stipend that Terry helped to negotiate is offered to players who have childcare expenses with children under 13 years of age. They can get reimbursed for up to $750 a month during the season. The childcare stipend is not only for mothers who have carried and birthed children, it's for people who are parents in the league. So it's not gender divisive and it doesn't exist in those binaries. It seeks to support parents in the league who have families. And for whom childcare costs can be a barrier to playing. Terry recalled a time when she ran into former WNBA player and Duke star Misty Bass.
4: Misty ended her career re- retired when she was playing with Phoenix, I wanna say. And one of the first things she said was, I wish I had had the childcare stipend. When Misty said that, I looked at her. Misty has a, a, a big, beautiful family. And I was like, I know, I know. You know, like I, I almost wanted to cry. Cause, but I, I was so happy because she was paying attention. And the support for women
0: players with families is not relegated to salary or even childcare benefits. It can be something as simple as a diaper change table or a clean and safe space to breastfeed babies. And it may surprise people how much that can be forgotten
4: if you're a new mom, you know, you know, I'm saying this and it it sounds as though this should have been automatic, particularly in the world we live in, in in this country, how we look at folks returning to work after um, starting a family. And, you know, the fact that we had to talk about accommodations for players who might be nursing, (laughs) it's a little baffling to me. Like we, we really have, like, we have to talk about that because it, it, I don't know that the teams were thinking about that. I don't know that they had contemplated, recognized that they had a responsibility to create a space that was clean and that was appropriate for a nursing player to pump or to feed her, her little one, if that were the case. Like, things you would think are automatic, but it's like, no, like, locker rooms aren't necessarily outfitted for that, Right? Because so many times, what we do in this sport is, you know, we use what has been the traditional model for, for men and apply it to our sport. And it's, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And, and that's why I'm saying, you know, like, let's recognize who our players are and what their needs are.
0: The growth of a women's league depends on many things. The longevity of players, the sustainability of their careers, the support of fans, investment into the game, but also understanding what the future may bring. That includes motherhood. Athlete moms and professional athlete parents have a world of responsibility on their shoulders. In addition to advocating for their sport, they seek to compete at the highest echelons of sport and try to balance their family lives. And women athletes very much think towards the future. Pamela McGee is cognizant of the bridges that she laid for others. And Kim Goshe wants Sophie to experience the same joys and laughter that basketball gave her. Sophie is almost eight months old now, and she has a big beautiful smile and bright eyes, like her mom. And will you be okay with her if she decides to play ice hockey?
3: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I might need a bigger, a bigger contract though. The different ways
0: that women navigate their lives at the intersections of professional sports and motherhood are not uncomplicated. Each family is unique, and the needs of moms and their children are different. The moms I spoke with adore their children, and being a mother is inextricably linked to being a baller. Raising a child while traveling and being traded from teams can also create complexities. But it can also be another way in which these women slay and rely on their communities and teammates for support. Pro-baller moms make me think of a quote by Ashley Simpo, a writer for Mother Tongue magazine. Sometimes it's difficult to know if children are the thing that makes ambition hard or the thing that makes it breathe. But I do know that mothers are the walking embodiment of look what the fuck I can do.
1: This episode of Spinsters was written and reported by Shireen Ahmed and hosted by Haley O'Shaughnessy and me. Our editor is Isabel Jocelyn, with production by Harry Krinsky, Alex Ward, Isabel, Haley, and me. Our fact checker was Mary Mathis. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard, and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John yells and Haley O'Shaughnessy. Hey
4: spinsters, uh, my name is Jishnu. I'm from DC. I think another team that could definitely use a rebrand are the Wizards, because like over the last few years they've been gone away from like the Wizards name. Yeah, they got rid of Gandalf logo and now it's just like a circle with like the Washington Monument in it, and it's like it doesn't look cool. So I think they should either rebrand entirely or just
2: lean heavily into the Wizards name. And also our city jerseys are just god-awful. They tried to combine like three different eras into one and it just looks terrible.